The Water Values Podcast is sponsored by the following market-leading companies and organizations by CanDo, providing actionable insights from utility wastewater data to improve environmental and public health. By Woodard and Curran, high-quality consulting engineering, science, and operations services. By Intera, innovation and stewardship for a sustainable tomorrow. By Xylem, let's solve water. By the American Water Works Association, dedicated to the world's most important resource. And by Black & Veatch, building a world of difference. This is Session 204. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey and thank you so much for joining me. I hope everyone is having a terrific holiday season and that you're able to take some time off uh, this holiday and enjoy family, friends, as well as taking care of yourself. Uh, We have a tremendous show for you today absolutely tremendous. Our annual Year in Water episode features several prominent water leaders from around the country. We have Kathy Bailey, the Executive Director of Greater Cincinnati Water, O.J. McFoy, General Manager for the Buffalo Sewer Authority, and Cindy Wallace-Lage, the President of Black & Veatch's Water Business. And they bring it with great insights and a terrific chemistry among our panelists. You'll see what I mean as you listen to this terrific discussion on what went on in water in 2021 and where we might be headed in 2022. But before we get to that great panel, uh, we begin, as always, with a hearty thank you to our sponsors, CanDo, Woodard & Curran, Intera, Xylem, the American Waterworks Association, and Black and & Veatch. And I'd like for you to do me a favor. If you work for or with any of these sponsors, please thank your boss, thank your contact at that sponsor firm, and tell them that you appreciate their leadership in the industry through the sponsorship. That simple act of kindness and act of uh, uh, gratitude goes a long way. And as long as you're letting the sponsors know that you appreciate their support of water industry education and thought leadership, why not leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, CastBox, or whatever other podcast directory you're accessing the podcast on. It would be greatly appreciated and, of course, helps others find out about the podcast. Now it's what you've been waiting for. It's on to this great panel on the Year in Water 2021 with Kathy Bailey, O.J. McFoy, and Cindy Wallace-Lage. Let's get that water flowing. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. We have a fantastic panel for you here today. Uh, We won't take time to go through... Uh, each of our terrific panelists' resumes because it would we'd, we'd run out of time. There's just too much to cover uh, that has occurred in 2021. But I will uh, quickly run down our panelists. We have Kathy Bailey from Cincinnati Water. We have OJ McFoy from Buffalo Sewer, and we have Cindy Wallace Lage from Black and Veatch. So, welcome. How are how are you guys doing today? Excellent. Great. Fantastic. Happy to be here. Yeah, I am so excited to have you all because uh, the the amount of wealth, excuse me, the wealth of knowledge you guys have, I I think is really going to benefit our listeners. And and to start, let's let's go with Kathy uh, to start. Just talk about when you kind of look at the water industry takeaways for 2021, what what kind of ranks high on your list? Oh, my gosh. Um, (laughs) 
we'll we'll start broad. We'll start it broad. I'm sorry. Go ahead. This this year was on fire, but um, probably takeaways. You know, certainly um, that there's funding coming our way for infrastructure improvements, but probably one that that really I think hits more with customers is seems like more utilities um, in the industry are trying to deal with affordability, define affordability, and I think that's a, a takeaway that we all are grappling with. Terrific. OJ, do you have kind of what, from your perspective up in Buffalo, what, what, what are your takeaways for 2021? Hey, David, this is why I hate following Kathy. Um, so, you know, everything she just said is is really spot on. Um, when we talk about this unprecedented uh, amount of money that is going to be coming um, this way for water, you know, we've really advocated for quite a long time um, to get this level, to try and get the federal government back up to the standards of, you know, construction grants period. Um, so the monies that's, that are coming in and, and the way it's coming in is not the, the shovel ready projects. It's really the shovel worthy um, projects. So we're really interested in, 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 in seeing that. And then exactly what Kathy said, affordability. Uh, affordability here in Buffalo is a, uh, a, a big concern. It's something that we have been um, in earnest working on this for the past several years, partnering with different organizations um, locally as well as nationally, just to make sure that we are serving our customers, especially our low-income customers, the best way they can. Terrific. I, spot on. Now, Cindy, I, I hate to put you in this position, but uh, you, you need to follow Kathy and OJ now. Yeah, it's always a bad place. <laughs> I never like to be behind the two of them because they're both so great in our industry and wonderful leaders to showcase what we can do and really take a great um, innovative and progressive look at what we can do. So I'm going to take a little different twist. And what I'm going to say is what, what I am seeing is a greater conversation in understanding the role water plays in a community as part of an integral piece of all of the infrastructure that makes it work. And I say that because we've had some great examples, not always fun examples to live through, that really show the interdependencies of community infrastructure and water being absolutely key to that. And so with that standpoint, I'm really excited about continuing to elevate the conversation about the role water plays in a community, which then will drive us to keep that investment. I am excited about the investment that has been put forth in the infrastructure bill. However, it is still a small amount of what we really need to invest in it. And it gets the ball rolling, but we have so much more that we need to do. And I think the only way to get that done is to keep elevating the conversations and continue to educate and to help people understand the role water plays in their communities as part of all of the political infrastructure that makes the world possible. Great insights. Really appreciate uh, all of you uh, giving kind of your big picture takeaways. And uh, it's, it's, it's good to know that, that we've got leaders like you in the industry that are, that are noticing these things and are, are able to uh, identify them with such precision. Uh, you all talked about funding. So OJ, let me come to you and we're obviously, we're talking about the infrastructure investment and jobs act once in a, once in a lifetime investment in water infrastructure, what are kind of the highlights to you of that? What, what is in that bill or in that act uh, for water? 
Well, you know, one of the major things is when we're talking about $55 billion, and while that's a whopping sum, um, we're looking at it as if this is a down payment on all of the work in water that has to be done. You know, for many years, you know, especially in cities like Buffalo, there's been, you know, some disinvestment. There have been pushing off of kind of the asset management, all to try and keep rates low. But what we really got to focus in on is utilizing this monies to actually invest in the systems, to make them more resilient, um, to upgrade them, um, and to really be innovative in how we're trying to uh, you know, build it for, for the next generation of folks. Um, so when we're looking at the $55 billion that's that's associated just for uh, uh, you know, clean and drinking water, you know, we know we have challenges that we have to get at as far as lead service lines and you know, sewer overflows and you know, emerging contaminants and forever chemicals and, and, and you know, the, you know, harmful algal blooms and all the things that we have to get at. Um, we're going to have to use innovation, um, but this really is a great shot in the arm that's going to carry us down the road to delivering on some of these innovative projects and for delivering for the people in our neighborhoods. Yeah, yeah. So, Cindy, what do, what do you see as the challenges for uh, taking all the money that OJ's described and getting it out and using it effectively within our utilities? I believe that. Well, one, I want to comment on something that OJ said, uh, and I just really love the way you put it, and that is that it's the down payment. Because I was re- thinking it as a comment, David, that you mentioned, which is a once-in-a-lifetime, and, and it can't be. <laughs> it cannot be a once-in-a-lifetime. It has to be a continuing investment that we make into our infrastructure because it is never a one-time situation. We're always going to have to be upgrading and innovating how we can improve and have that sustainable infrastructure. The challenge that I see is how do we move the funds and get them to the right places? And then also understanding it is a down payment. There is more. There's more that's going to be required. And it, and that burden, whether we like it or not, is not going to fall to the federal government. It's going to fall to the individuals, to the communities. And we have to figure out how to do that in an affordability manager and manage affordability, as mentioned earlier by Kathy and OJ. So there's a lot of complexity with this. There's complexity in how we move it out. There's a tremendous amount of technical assistance that's going to be needed initially, because if we go through uh, the predominant funding mechanism going through SRF, great, that infrastructure is in place, challenge, administered by a state, challenge, if you're not on the list, you're not going to be able to get the money or have access to the money. So we really have to get engaged now with the technical assistance to help some of these distressed communities, uh, areas where they really are needing this investment, how do we help them get that technical assistance so that they can get a plan in place so that they can be on that list and have the opportunity to get grants or loans from SRF. So I think there's a lot of work to get done that we need to move really quickly on because time's going to go by fast. Um, and, it, and it, we get surprised at, oh gosh, now how much time has gone by and we have to move with the money. And we don't want to have that situation. We've had that challenge before. How well do we move the money uh, and really let it be the catalyst that we need it to be? Because that's what it has to be. It has to be a catalyst to the investment in our Yeah. Yeah. That great, great perspective. Kathy, what are, you, what, what are your thoughts on 
the infrastructure bill and kind of what, what I asked Cindy about in terms of getting, getting the money out and how's, how's it can be best used. You know, it's going to be very interesting, but I just want to speak a little bit on what OJ said as well. And I, and I liked similar to what Cindy said. I liked the way he said it, that it's a down payment. And I also heard him say that, you know, it'll carry us. Well, it'll carry us now until we get that, next series of funding as, as Cindy said it cannot be just a one-time deal where this happens and so I think we all need to, to think along those lines that, that this is the beginning of something that needs to continue but but certainly I think I think we're going to see some challenges unfortunately with the small and medium-sized utilities and I'm really concerned about them because as much as we're all happy that this funding is now available you know, some of our small and medium-sized utilities won't have the resources or the capacity to really take this money and, and you know, put those shovel-worthy projects into play. And so I don't know what that looks like for us, you know, as a water utility industry, but in some ways I feel like we need some type of big brother solutions and big brother being the larger water utility. You know, can we help and assist the small and medium utilities understand, you know, what this funding means and help them get to a point to prioritize their projects so that they can move forward as well? Because it's not about just the larger utilities knowing, you know, what to do with this money, but we have to help the other ones that sometimes haven't had the opportunity to have this type of money, and now they will. And so how can we help them be ready and put put their work into action, you know, to improve their systems. And, you know, that's a really good point, just to jump in for a second. You know, we, some of the, the processes that we have in place now can be a bit uh, cumbersome, let's just say that, in, in trying to access that money. And so one of the things we also have to do is find a way to simplify where possible, such that to your point, Kathy, to help those who haven't maybe had access before. If we make it so burdensome, so challenging that they've got to have how much support to be able to, to, to actually access the money that they go, I, I just can't do it. It's too complex. Then we didn't solve anything. And we do have to figure that out. And, and a buddy system, maybe, I don't know, but maybe that's a great way to go. Yeah. Terrific. OJ, do you have any thoughts on kind of helping out the smaller systems? You know, it, it, that's very interesting. Um, and one of the things we've been talking about locally in, in the Buffalo region has been looking at it from a regional aspect because, you know, we have outside districts that connect into us and we have our, our partners and they're looking at it and saying, you know, it is quite, you know, as Cindy said, kind of burdensome um, uh, many of the times to get on the listing um, for us. Us, it's the intended use plan for for funding. Um, it's it's actually about a two year process for doing that, and then uh, the things that come down, uh, kind of the pike um, the, associated with all of the metrics and 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 provisions that you have to meet do make it very cumbersome. Whereas you know a medium sized utility such as Buffalo. We really say, hey, for projects, the project dollars need to be a million or two million before we even continue to go in that direction um, to get put on that list. And many utilities, because of, of kind of those hurdles, aren't on these lists with their state, um, you know, state revolving funds. So, 
you know, I understand, you know, how the monies are coming out and they're trying to use existing mechanisms, um, but that is definitely going to be a challenge. And it is going to be incumbent upon those utilities who have done this before, um, who are familiar with this um, to help out the other ones, because we all have to grow. We all are facing these very similar challenges um, and we all have our communities that we're trying to serve. Yeah. And I would just add again, though, that, I mean, it's just a hot mess for the the large water utilities <laughs> to keep it straight. You know, so I fear for the, the small and the mediums who are just getting in the game. We've been in the game and it's still a hot mess for us. <laughs> yeah. so, so, I mean, it can be very challenging. And, and I'm just, I'm concerned about, you know, we need to help them. We, we definitely need to help them. Yeah. So what, how does that help? What, what form does that help? Is it more, is it, is it guiding them in, in procurement processes? Is it more of a regionalization approach? What do you, what do you think about that? It's really going to be different in every different corner of, of America. Um, you know, we have a great relationship, great working relationship with some of our, our um, smaller utilities around here. Um, simply because we are a regional aspect, um, you know, so we're receiving flows from them. Um, so we can work with them. We have a, uh, a, a relationship. Others, others do not. And it's going to be, you know, on those larger utilities kind of reach out to some of those, you know, smaller rural utilities to kind of create that. So it may be going about it regionally. It may just be, hey, you know, putting your arm around them and say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm the big sister here. We're going to help you out. I would just add to that that it's basically meeting them where they are. You know, I'll give you a couple examples. You know, there's a, a small water utility, um, you know, a system near us. And, you know, just recently they reached out to us and said, hey, we're trying to improve our lead service line replacement, you know, our, our lead service line inventory. You know, and how did you do the, yours? And can we come over and talk to you? And is it okay if I speak to these people in your organization because I talked to them before? You know, and so that's one way. But then there's another way where where some of these water utilities don't know what they don't know. And so is it maybe us reaching out to say, hey, we're here. We're a resource for you if you're trying to get some of this money. We're a resource for you if you don't even know how to establish, you know, an improved program in your utility to go after this. You know, I think it's going to be kind of meeting them where they are, but I don't think it's. We're not helping ourselves if we just sit back because we think we have our game together um, and we don't help these others that are just getting in the game. We all need to be in this together to help each other because, again, this is a down payment on money that we hopefully will see more to come in the future. And we need to get everybody started on tapping into this money to fix the infrastructure um, that we need. Yeah, Cindy, what about, what about your thoughts? You know, it's a, a little bit different twist because I totally support everything that OJ and Kathy have said. But I also think there's some areas or some elements of what we need to work on that if we can get some standardization in, in, in an approach, right? So this technical assistance that's needed, if you look at the flood service lines and you look at some of the opportunities that we need to get out there from our uh, how we are going about upgrading our facilities or what kind of improvements are needed that are going to allow us to be more sustainable, to have more resilience in systems hardening uh, for all of these utilities. How do we help them see some opportunities of what could be? 
And, and that means we've got to be more progressive because it shouldn't be, let's just do what we've always done in every case. In some cases, yes, it may be. But we have to be able to find a way to help bring in that innovation and collaboration such that we aren't just trying to replicate the last 100 years, but rather we are preparing as we're making these investments, as we're making this down payment, what are we doing to give ourselves better water security, to be able to deal with what's coming before us? Uh, and and think the conditions are different. And we need to make sure that we're helping and providing some insights and maybe some standard thinking on some of that such that we, we don't just replicate the past. Obviously, great perspective. I'm just impressed that uh, you guys have been coming up with these unique ideas and perspectives that uh, it's just great to hear them all at once. Um, We've been talking about there needs to be more money coming. There is a bill currently pending in Congress, uh, the Build Back Better plan. Um, And that, that has kind of been styled the human infrastructure bill, but it does have funding for uh, water and climate type issues. Uh, any thoughts on on how we can best, if, if it passes, this is all very highly speculative, how will that bill, if passed, uh, impact utilities? Any thoughts? Well, I mean, at this point, show us all the money. Just, just keep it rolling. I mean, you know, <laughs> bring on the money. That's bring what on the saying. Bring, bring on the on money. The money. Yeah, show me the money. I'm, that's it. Show me the money. You know, um, because we, we need so much and we've had to put so much on the back burner. and We've had to figure out how to do the best that we can with what we have when we know we needed to improve it or, or you know, change it out many, many years ago. And so the fact that we're getting multiple buckets of money at this point, it's like, yeah, just bring it on because we have projects. We know what we need to do. Um, for many years to come, we have projects that are stacked up, sitting on shelves, um, and and need to be, you know, designed to move forward. And so, you know, whatever they can do to give us that funding, then we're ready for that. You know, to me, and I've said this before, this is all a game changer for us, but we're ready to play the game. We're ready. And so give us the money. Give us what we need. And know that you just can't give it to us once and take your ball and go home. We need to keep playing with you. Give us more money. And so I just look at these multiple buckets of money as a significant starting point, but we need to make sure that they follow up. And this is something that we see again and again and again, because it's not enough just in these few bills to handle all of what we need to do. And, you know, David, um, you know, that, that's one of the things I, we actually I just sent out an email yesterday to our congressional delegation encouraging them on on this particular one. You know, stay the course, how important it is for us. You know, as we know, it, you know, Buffalo sits on, on, on the shores of, of Lake Erie and the Niagara River. And frankly, uh, climate manifests itself through water here. Um, so all of the dollars that we're talking about that are reflective of climate and for us, that, you know, that just equals stormwater um, and more intense storms. Um, it, and, and it also deals with our, you know, sewer overflow. So we're looking at those funds as well. And as Kathy said, you know, show me the money. Listen, we have projects lined up that have to be delivered to make sure that the people in Buffalo and in Western New York 
are receiving the clean water uh, that they need. You know, are they able to 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 recreate? They're able to connect with the water, um, and you know that we're able to manage the system that we have to manage to deliver this and and to collect it from them. So, you know, we are looking at you know all of this collectively to say this is necessary for the water sector. Yeah, Cindy, what what about your thoughts on on the Build Back Better bill? I'm excited that there is more opportunity for funding. So that that's great. I I think it's a little challenging when we have it come out in, in different locations as opposed to one holistic focus of and then saying how do we best utilize that. And the reason I say that is because we have so many issues at hand and they vary across the US as OJ referenced earlier. And climate change does show up front and center through water. And when we see it, we can see it through whether it's drought, lack of, it's flooding, and it happens with severity of storms, wildfires happen because we have no rain and it's extremely dry. You have the winter storms that can happen. You have this increase in number. You have increase in intensity, that stress and strain onto our infrastructure means that we need to be much more holistic in our planning and in our thinking. So we really have to think in systems. We have to think bigger and broader. And if we have to start having to think constantly of like, how do I pick up, do I get a dollar from Bill Black Becker? And then I get a dollar from infrastructure bill? And then how do I bring those together? It goes back to that point I mentioned earlier, we're just complicating as opposed to simplifying. And if we can't simplify and figure out a way to, flow the money easier and see the amount of money that's available, then we start fixing based on a priority, which is no flaw. I'm, I am not judging on that at all. But when we do that, we're not necessarily able to step back and say holistically, what do we need to do to, again, build for our future and the future we're having to deal with, which is different from the past. We're instead reacting of what is our biggest challenge and, and what, where are our burning platforms that we have to address and, and that becomes how we have to use the money and, and that's exactly what does happen you know, whether it's failing infrastructure that's happening we just got to get it fixed investments in maintenance you know, travel troubles with workforce enough all of these issues we're going to look at okay how do we just try and get all these band-aids on versus looking at that bigger picture holistic solution and saying, okay, I have the ability to see I've got funds coming for the next 10 years and I can now prioritize and put things out there and do it in a manner that's building me to where I want to go as opposed to just addressing my brain platforms. So I don't know, maybe, you know, Kathy and OJ, this is where it's really great for you guys to say, Cindy, you're wrong. Uh, or, <laughs> or you agree. And, and, you know, because that's the way I see it. And do you guys see it that way? You know, Cindy, really, you mentioned the key word, which was, you know, band-aids, right? Uh, you know, and that's what we have done. You know, we've we've kept it together with duct tape and, and band-aids. And, um, you know, we do a great job um, in, 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 in doing that. But, yes, our systems are aging. Uh, they're continuing to age. Um, and we all know that when money gets tight, the first thing to go is maintenance on our systems. Um, and then that just manifests itself in larger yeah. uh, failures, right? So yep. one of the things that we've been saying here is, listen, we're always going to have 
a gap of resources, whether that is people resources, money resources, um, you know, just capacity. We have to bridge that gap with innovation. Um, so one of the things that we've done here is we've taken advantage of uh, of the lemons that we've had in our city, which was, you know, in 1900, Buffalo was the eighth largest city in America. And we built an infrastructure that was going to, you know, rival uh, Chicago's. Um, and we never reached the amount of people that we should have. And now we we sit at uh, 270,000, a quarter of, of what we had anticipated for. And that means we were left with large pipes in the ground. So we were able to what we're doing here and in, in, in partnering with, you know, Xylems of the world is we're, we've had our smart sewers, right? So we're able to take advantage of the built environment that's already in place and turn those into storage units without building new, but being innovative in the manner in which we're using data, um, the manner in which we're using um, uh, technology to store that water. And that's what's going to be needed. That 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 technology use, that innovative pieces, that is the, that's what's going to fill this gap that's necessary to kind of go forward and make the leap forward. And, and, and I would just add to, to what OJ explained here. That's a big part of, of why I talk about we need to help those small and medium because it could be a potential uh, situation where they get the money and they just want to replace what they have. No, they need to be innovative and think about the fact of what it was built for years ago and does that still come into play now and how can they do that? And so for some utilities, it, it might be what I explained earlier, where we might just need to, to um, be that resource to help them put something into play. But other people will need a playbook from large utilities because they just don't know what to do. And so how could they be innovative and size the system, the replacement of the system for today and not something that was built 100 years ago? Those are things that, that I think if we are not big brother, big sister to some of these small and medium utilities that that we are setting ourselves up for failures down the road and likely misuse of the funding that we finally are now receiving. And so we just need to be smart about how we do that and use innovation and technology to do, to do that. Yeah, great, great perspectives on those issues. Um, one of the other key takeaways, and it's come up multiple times as we've as we've had our discussion today is affordability. And so what are the strategies that you've learned through the pandemic and, and 2021 that have, that have uh, assisted you in dealing with uh, the affordability issue? OJ, do you have any thoughts on the Buffalo affordability issues? Uh, yeah, surely, David. Thank you very much for the opportunity. You know, uh, we have been at this for a number of years. You know, we partnered with the U.S. Water Alliance. We are one of the original water equity um, uh, team members. Uh, along with a number of cities, uh, you know, stretching from Atlanta to Pittsburgh to to Milwaukee and, and Cleveland and uh, Louisville, and I'm trying to remember who else I'm missing, but uh, that was an excellent journey that we were able to go on pre-pandemic. Right, we were able to look at our city, a city that has you know 30 plus percent of our folks in poverty. And we were able to look at that and say, okay, how can we develop some solutions for those low income customers? Because when we talk about affordability, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the the income. And when we look at the the low income individuals, it's not that they can't afford water. It's that they can't afford a roof over their head. 
they can't afford food on their table and they and they can't afford the the, the clothing on, on for their family so what we're trying to address is really to be a part of the solution for that grouping while at the same time understanding that we have to build innovate and maintain a, a massive system um, to deliver clean water to everybody, you know, throughout throughout our area. So you have to have those two things, and they're not competing. You know, a lot of times people say they're competing, but but understand that they are connected. So when we talk about affordability, it, it is really important. We were able to do it here is to set up those programs to look at your all of your rates and how they're they're effective and how they're equitably distributed. You know, number of things, and, and I'm sure Kathy will will chime in when you start looking at your 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 fees and and how they're they're placed on folks and you start looking at them geographically you start seeing some things um that namely you didn't want to see and you you know maybe people didn't believe it but that's what's happening so we really took a close you know kind of magnifying glass and how we were um, applying our fees where they were being applied and then rolled them back um, and really looked at saying, hey, how can we support this group here of low income individuals? And listen, we have a capital you know, expenditures that we have to get out and we still need to do that. So you have to find that that spot where, you know, those who can't afford it, we're going to be paying these rates. And then those who we feel cannot um, and, are, and are eligible for these programs. We do that. You know, it, it's so often everybody is really accepting of having senior programs, right? You know, you won't, no one complains about a senior program because they can, they, they have a vision of who that senior is and why they're deserving of, you know, that reduction in, in their fees. But it's not the same when you talk about low income. They don't see the same person that's in need. Um, and, and and may not be in that age bracket. Um, but that is what it is. It's, it's simply a different group that is in need and we have to support them while remaining on our mission to deliver clean water to everybody. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Kathy, do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, he, uh, affordability, oh my gosh. I, I, many times I'm at a loss for words when we're talking about affordability and you guys know I'm never quiet, but um, I, you know, I explained it to a to a, a friend of mine this way recently, and and I told her I said, you know, somebody delinquent on their bill—that's a small fight, you know—and that's for small fighters. But affordability—that's that's a big fight, and and water utilities are big fighters, and so we have to figure out what we're going to do with affordability. We we struggle in this area because we have never had to know more about our community and who lives in our community the way we now need to know it to know it to move forward. We need to know the nuances of of you know what's happening in particular neighborhoods so we can address affordability a certain way in that neighborhood and address it differently in another neighborhood, et cetera. We've never had to perform and, and handle our work in that way. And I think to address affordability and and get something moving, get something changed along the lines of that, we're going to have to do our work very differently. And and many of our utilities, we're not prepared. We're not staffed. We don't have the resources in that way. And so we find ourselves in the midst of a pandemic 
trying to understand that, trying to regroup, trying to staff around it so we can move forward with solutions. And so I feel like a number of us as water utilities are at that space right now trying to figure out what to do. You know, some of us have already started to go back to do shutoffs um, and, and perform shutoffs. We haven't done that here in Cincinnati. So I sit on 40,000 accounts that are delinquent right now. Um, 15,000 of them, if I started today, are eligible for shutoff. And so that's unfathomable. That's hard. I, I can't I can't get my mind around that because I can't, number one, I don't have resources to shut off all those people to begin with. Um, how do I even prioritize who gets those shutoffs? You know, but a better solution is how can I help those those customers? But even contacting those customers right now is a challenge because many of them are behind on their bills, so they're not answering their phone. They're not opening certain mail that we send to them. And so affordability and, and just the nuances of what the pandemic has done to affordability has just knocked this thing out of sorts in so many ways. And it's something that we haven't seen at utilities right now. And so we, we, I, I say collective, we as utilities, we're struggling with what to do and how we move forward with affordability. And I certainly don't have answers. I'm looking for them every day, but I don't have the answers. And I think many don't have the answers. And so it will be very interesting and very challenging for us in the next few years to try to figure out what we do to get out of this. Is it more customer assistance programs? Is it rate structure changes? Is it a combination of all of that? We just don't know. And we're just trying many, many things right now to, to get a handle on it and try to move it forward. Yeah. I, great perspective on knowing your customer and, and having that customer relationship. I think that's, that's really interesting. Cindy, what, what are you seeing out in the industry from an affordability standpoint and how, how utilities are dealing with it? I think they have an incredible task. Uh, talk about a tough lift. Talk about a tough thing to do. You know, it, the, the issues that both AJ, OJ and Kathy talked about, you know, those are crushing to me. I mean, when you think about anybody having to make choices of whether they're going to be able to have water, or have food, or have electricity, or have a roof over their head, you know, it, that that's rough. And, and it is, OJ, your point of saying people don't, visualize this in a manner to see it truly the light of what it is, to see it in its true light. And I think the challenge really is that you can't look at affordability in isolation for the water space. Going back to what was said, this, this is a challenge for people who have, it's not just their water bill they're choosing not to pay. It, it is a, a much bigger issue. And I think we have an opportunity as a, as a country and as humanitarians to start looking at this equity issue way differently than we have in the past and stop, you know, turning our eyes the other way when we pass by and instead we have to look and say, how can I help? Because I think that help has to come from all different places. Utilities are fighting their fight and they're doing everything they can to, to be fair, to, to make sure they're helping where they can, but they also have a, a utility to run and they have an obligation of, of the facilities and what they have to provide. 
but they can't deal with the supportability all by themselves. That there has to be a broader picture. And it goes back to the comment I made earlier is thinking broader across the community and what needs to be done. And is there a different way for us to approach some of these challenges in a more holistic manner and more systems thinking way such that we can address it? Because it, it, making it, dealing with it in, in little, uh, one avenue at a time for affordability for people who are challenged with that, we're, we're not going to actually solve it as effectively as we need to. And it just puts a huge burden onto the utilities. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I, I am so happy that you guys have been able to come on and share these perspectives. Uh, you know, we're coming up on the end of our time. You guys have been absolutely tremendous as always. And so I very much thank you for sharing your perspectives and, and making some time to come on to the show. Uh, we're going to, we're going to end up with a, just a fun question uh, to end it for each of you. And we'll, we'll go, Cindy, we'll start with you. Then we'll go to OJ and we'll end with Kathy, but what is your favorite holiday tradition uh, and why? And uh, could you just let us know what that is? Yes, I will. Uh, <laughs> our favorite holiday tradition is we have a have hosted for many, many, many years a large Christmas dinner that is family that is in town, uh, it is family that wants to come to town, but it's also a lot of friends. Anybody who doesn't already have Christmas plans? And or have decided now that part of their Christmas is they want to come have dinner with the Lages. And it is a wonderful time. But what makes it so meaningful to me is before we have dinner, we have everyone gather in as large circle as it takes <laughs> to get everybody together to hold hands and just state what they're thankful for. And doing this when our kids were little, it really did instill that remember to give thanks for what you have it's not just about what christmas gift and not once not once have i had someone make kids also have said that they're thankful for that a gift that they had opened that morning it's always deeper than that and truly probably nine times out of ten that we've done this i end up crying at everybody's saying what they're thankful for because it is just so joyful to to see the depth of caring uh, of people and, and really what matters. So I love that. And our kids have told us that they give up Christmas presents before they would give up that Christmas dinner and the ability to be together and give thanks to others. So that feels pretty crazy. Awesome. Thanks, Cindy. How about you, OJ? Wow, Cindy had me uh, tearing up over here. <laughs> <laughs> that you know, that is that is amazing, and that is very similar to to us. You know, um, we traditionally get together with our uh, with our family. Um, they're actually in the state of Virginia, down in the Hampton area, and you know that is the highlight of our year for Thanksgiving. We all come together. Everybody drives there. You know, we stay in hotels. We stay there. Family. You know, and we all come together. And that is 
just such a beautiful time just with the fellowship of of, of family you get to see everyone you know kind of grow up you haven't seen them in maybe a year and in this case you know due to the pandemic you know we had to shut it down last year and it's been a couple of years you haven't seen folks and you watch the children progress through school and you know you just get to really you know, get in contact with each with, with each other and of course you know we, we we get to watch the bills game and you know we do some <laughs> bills thing and you know sit at the, their bar but really it you know, with my cousins and, and uh, you know, my wife's family. And it, it, it's just an amazing time. And, and that's what it is. It, it, it really is that, you know, that thanks time, you know, how, how are we connected um, and, you know, how do we miss and how do we interact with each other? And it's just such a beautiful thing. Awesome. That sounds great. How about you, Kathy? Uh, probably similar to, to, their um, explanations um you know it's all about the family time and, and and for me it's about you know i married into a large family so any family gathering is probably 60 65 people and so that's what we would see together normally at thanksgiving and christmas and um one thing that comes to mind though um we always have games we have some type of games that we play during those holidays. And our favorite is a game called Left, Right, Center. Um, and we play that game and we talk smack about who's going to win. <laughs> and and um, the winner always has to do a victory dance. <clears throat> you know, but we look forward to that moment in the evening when, when all of that happens. But, but really, it's all about just having the family time together. And as OJ and Cindy mentioned, it's just, you know, seeing family grow and change and, and just be together and love on each other and, and just live together. So it's just, it's awesome. Yeah, that, that is awesome. Well, we play left, right, center at our house too. So uh, it's, it's good to know we have something in common, Kathy. Uh, but I, I really appreciate again, all the time you've taken to share with us your perspectives on what happened in water in 2021, where we might be going in 2022 uh, so thank you all. We really appreciate it. And I uh, hope you have a wonderful holiday season and a happy new year. All right. Thank you very much, David. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye now. Thanks again. Absolutely tremendous insights from each of our panelists. Thank you, Kathy, OJ, and Cindy. You were terrific. And I'm so happy you were all able to carve off some time to participate and share your insights on the water industry and what went on in 2021. And that the stars aligned and we were able to get everyone in the same place or at least at the same time block uh, because that's not always easy around the holidays, especially with uh, people as busy as Kathy, OJ, and Cindy. So thank you so much. Well, I'd love to know what you thought about the panel. Please check out the show notes page for the information and links on this episode. Just Google the Water Values Podcast and click the first link that comes up. That's our landing page on Bluefield Research's website. Again, Bluefield and the water values are not affiliated companies. We just have a joint marketing arrangement. And as part of that, Bluefield is kind enough to give the water values a home on the web. You can also tweet about the podcast using the hashtag water, value, water values and tweet at me using my handle at DTM1993. You can email me at david.mcgimsey at dentons.com. And you can sign up for the newsletter at that landing page as well. Thank you again for tuning in, and I hope that everyone out there has a terrific holiday. Plus, I want to give a huge thank you to our sponsors. Again, sponsors of the Water Values Podcast 
for 2021 have included Can-Do, Woodard and Curran, Intera, Xylem, the American Waterworks Association, and Black and & Veatch. This show would not be possible without those great companies and industry leaders. Happy holidays and happy new year to each of you, and thank you for listening. We'll be back next year with a terrific lineup of guests. Until then, be safe. In closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Well, thank you for tuning in to the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Indiana and Colorado, and nothing in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney-client relationship with you or with anyone else. Additionally, nothing in this podcast should be considered a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer that finds water issues interesting and that believes greater public education is needed about water issues. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water.